0: And welcome again to another edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I am your host, Rabbi Richard Address. Welcome, thank you very much for joining us. Um, as you know, we talk about on these podcasts issues related to our own longevity, the implications of longevity to our families and our community. If you'd like to contact us with any ideas or suggestions, you can email me, Rabbi Address at com. Today's guest, um, is the author of this very, very interesting and personal book called um, In Stroke's Story, My Caregiver Story, In Stroke's Shadow, I'm sorry, Shadow, uh, very Jungian. Um, um, A Story of a Caregiver, its author is Kyle Ruffin, and we are honored that she joins us on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning. First of all, welcome, Kyle. Nice to see you. Thank you very much for Giving us the opportunity to read the book, um, in Thank stroke you. shadow, my caregiver's story. I want to begin with, um, something you write at the very, very beginning, because it seems to be common in so many issues of caregiving when people join this new life stage, which we, I, I really believe it is a, a new life stage. Uh, you write at the beginning of the book, in the space of 24 hours, I went from look, looking out primarily for myself, to having to consider everything through the filter of mommy's care. I had no children, so the role of caregiver was completely foreign to me. Like a new parent, I had to learn on the job, only I didn't have nine months to prepare. What was it like when you got the call?
1: It was completely out of the blue. I uh, was on my way to a meeting uh, I just started my own marketing business and it was beginning to take off. And on the way to the meeting, I got a call, uh, that changed my life forever. Uh, my mother, who was very vibrant, very young, world traveler. Uh, she was only 68. Uh, there was no indication that she had anything, uh, wrong. Uh, so when I got the call, um, I had to, respond immediately. And I learned that she was having uh, the first of several strokes. And um, it was like you go, you kind of go into autopilot, right? You, you do what you know you need to do in order to uh, survive the moment. And um, that's what I did. And it, it just, I just had no idea where to begin. What this journey was going to be like, because I didn't expect it um and I like the book said, I didn't have any time to prepare it was with it like the blink of an eye, uh my life changed forever
0: you know th- it's so many of us enter this new life stage, just like you did uh with um uh, just a call, a call comes, even though on a subconscious level we may um you know, contemplate because a loved one may be, you know, declining. But when the call comes, it just, it just restructures everything. You write that in essence, um, you lose yourself in the role of caregiver. What does that mean? How do you lose yourself? Cause you were running a business. You were active. You were, you know, engaged in this, in your, in your, in your own professional growth and development, but yet you lose yourself. As a caregiver, how?
1: Well, for me, that what that looked like was, for the first four nights, I spent the night in a hospital chair uh, by my mother's side. Um, I had a husband at home, and I he, I completely divorced myself of any outside relationships, and I completely devoted. Every waking moment, and in a lot of cases, sleeping moments to my mother. And, you know, in some ways, those were the easy decisions to make because I knew where I needed to be. Uh, it was those decisions that were about making healthy choices for myself where I really kind of, kind of forgot how to do that because everything. Uh, was through the lens of what it takes to make sure that my mother is okay and that she has what she needs uh, in that moment.
0: So in the middle, of, towards the middle of the book, you, you have this really, really interesting image that, I, and I read it, I, I made a note in the book to ask you about, while watching a man swim in the ocean parallel to the shoreline, I saw the perfect metaphor for caregiving. Remember that?
1: Absolutely. What?
0: Could you, could you just, that's a. I mean, I'm, I'm reading this and wow, that's very, very interesting. Swimming, a man swimming in the ocean parallel to the shoreline as a metaphor for caregiving. Walk me through that. Unpack that for me.
1: Well, as I was watching him, um, he was swimming in, uh, a, a pretty high current and, the waves that were, uh, per- perpendicular to him were large and looked like they were going to overtake him. Looks looked like he was going to just crash to the sea floor, uh, every single time a wave approached him. And instead he just lifted and lowered and lifted and lowered with each, with each wave. He never lost his stride. He never looked like he was in any sort of danger. Uh, he just, uh, continued his pace, and what I what I was talking about was the fact that often my caregiving situation would look like it was going to overtake me. Uh, if you were to ask me before something happened what I could handle, I would have not not answered the things that I was ultimately able to handle, um, and I I just tried to uh, you know be mindful of the fact that the solutions are there. And if I stay the course and, 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 and look for the answers, uh, I will be lifted up to the place where solutions dwell. And then I would get lowered back into uh, a period of calm uh, that uh, sometimes I would believe that that calm was going to last, but it never did. Um, and then another wave would come. And that was kind of the, the, the rhythm of, of caregiving for me.
0: You know, we talk a lot about now a caregiving of self care as how, how critical importance it is. And you allude to what did you do to take care of yourself?
1: Um, well, I've always been uh, somebody who, who appreciates going to the gym. So I, I maintained that routine. Um, I, once uh, things kind of calmed down, I uh, was able to kind of restore some some relationships, some close relationships with friends who, uh, you know, I was still able to have somewhat of a social life. My mother had an awesome posse of friends who would help to provide me with the respite I needed
0: mm-hmm. to
1: make sure that I was able to run this marathon and uh, I can't. Say enough about having such a great support system. Uh, so those were among the things that I did. Um, I, I'm a certified yoga instructor, so I relied heavily on yoga. Uh, I love meditation. Um, I saw therapy. I, I had a wonderful therapist who walked me through, uh, a lot of my family history, uh, so that I could understand, um, you know, more of the picture of what I was dealing with. And, um, I, I just tried very hard to, to, to make sure that I was ready for just about anything, uh, that came along. Because if I hadn't, um, I don't know. I, 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 I think I feel for people who aren't, who aren't mindful of the fact that you, you need time to prepare. And to, to be out of crisis, uh, so that when the crisis does occur, you can, uh, face it. Um, some people I think live in that crisis for too, too long, even if it's only in their heads. And I knew better than to do that.
0: You, you alluded to the posse and you alluded to the therapy, which is extremely important in helping to navigate a lot of the feelings in caregiving. So many emotions from family of origin stuff get played out. You write about that. In fact, you write about it quite a lot in throughout the book, not just one chapter, but your father and your sister Lynette, they, they appear as very powerful supporting characters in this book. What was channeling them? How was that helpful to you in caring for your mom?
1: Well, it was helpful to me in that I learned, uh, after losing my father, who was only 58, uh, in 1995. And then I lost my sister. She was only 42 in 2002. Um, and, uh, my father died suddenly. And when you lose somebody close to you suddenly, you, at least for me, I ended up with a lot of regrets, uh, things I never said, things I, I, I wish I had. Uh, done with him or for him. Uh, and with my sister, even though her, her, uh, illness was over an eight month period, uh, I had some regrets when it came to how I handled that situation as well. So when my mother got sick, um, I was determined not to have any regrets when this was all over. Uh, it, I didn't know how it was going to end. But I couldn't carry any more sadness in my heart uh, for things that I wished I had done when my father and my sister were alive.
0: You know, you write also about faith. You have this wonderful line, one <laughs> which I, I did underline, um, about your own faith community. You write, "We were Baptist." Quote: "We were Baptist, baptized in the sea of suffering, with no shoreline in sight." Unquote. Um, What does that mean?
1: Well, I I I think it's sort of you know how martyrs are born, right? (laughs) Uh, Even if you're alive, still you're taught that you have to sacrifice yourself, And, and if you're not sacrificing yourself um then you're not living uh, a godly life. So if and I think that got translated in my family uh to if you are a caregiver the needs of the person you're caring for always uh are more important than your own needs. After all, they're the one who's suffering, you are not. Um and you know there are lots of passages in the Bible that say you know the child must sacrifice themselves for the good of the parent and i know my mother believed very strongly in that and there were expectations that she had that were different than uh the expectations i had of uh, the dynamics of our caregiving relationship and many of hers were born out of her re- her religious belief that uh you 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 always Always sacrifice yourself for the betterment of someone else.
0: Was was your faith important to you in this in this journey?
1: Um, well, uh, you yeah, know, I'm still grappling with my faith.
0: That's <laughs> um, it. It's a lifetime grapple.
1: <laughs> I um, I'm I'm not someone who uh, attends church or uh, spends a lot of time in religious settings. Um, and, uh, on the one side I could say I'm maybe agnostic, uh, but on the other side, uh, I read, uh, I've read the Bible, uh, five times through. (laughs) Um, and, uh, every morning I say this, the, uh, prayers of protection, uh, that my grandmother taught me when I was a child. So I, I, I'm like sort of hedging my bets, right? I'm I'm making sure I have all the bases covered because, uh, faith is not about knowing for sure. So, uh, my actions might indicate that I am someone of faith and, um, uh, but my faith in myself, my faith in my understanding of the universe, uh, as much as one can understand it from, you know, this seat right here. Um, those, those things did carry me through.
0: We're speaking again with Kyle Ruffin, the author of In Strokes Shadow, My Caregiver Story. Um, technically, um The book is available through by how. Uh,
1: The book is available. uh, It's available on Amazon and um, BarnesandNoble.com. But uh, if you go to my website, mycaregiverstory.com, there are several other links that you can purchase the book through, including a couple of local bookstores that have it on their websites. Uh, Ida's Bookstore, uh, which is located in Collingswood, New Jersey, and Inkwood Books, which is in Haddonfield, New Jersey. Both of them are carrying it, as well as Harriet's uh, Bookstore in Philadelphia.
0: So that's for for the people who are not living in the greater Philadelphia area. Those are places around where we are. But if you're all over the world, because the, the podcast gets picked up, go to the Great God Amazon, and you're probably in in, in good shape or... Uh Kyle's website, which again, Kyle, is
1: mycaregiverstory.com.
0: One of the issues that you raise throughout the book, I think you
1: you started with
0: with a, an approach when, when mom just had gotten sick, and um you you talk about mom's or you call her mommy, uh which is in itself the way you describe it, is what you always called her, and that's what you're gonna that's that's who she is. Um, mommy's reluctance, um, to trust the medical system and, um, the culture that your mom represented. Um, and then you, you also talk about the, the cultural difference growing up as in an African American culture in the United States of America with the approach to the the medical system and the trust in the medical system. I think, and you do allude to the Tuskegee incident. Could you, I think it's important for people to understand um, uh, that there are cultural differences in the populations in the United States of America of how we look at them, how, how that culture looks at the medical system based upon previous cultural experiences. Could you, because I think that's part of, part of what you're teaching in this book. Could you walk us through that?
1: Well, um, my mother was born in 1941 and, um, I don't have the exact dates here now, it's but okay. you know, the Tuskegee trials, uh, were happening during her lifetime and they were things that people in our community were very, uh, aware of. And that, uh, created a deep-seated mistrust of the medical system. Uh, Even though there were uh, Black medical professionals who were part of the uh, experiments, it it was just proof that you just can't trust anybody. Uh, And my mother was someone who never went to the doctor. Uh, The reason that that her stroke... uh, came as such a surprise was because she had never been diagnosed uh, formally because I couldn't tell you when the last time was that my mother went to the doctor. And my grandmother was someone who would always say, you, you know, you don't go to the doctor, you, you, you'll you end up sicker if you go to the doctor. And uh, my mother was very mistrustful of uh, all the medications that, that, uh, a lot of her friends at her age were taking, uh, and that she didn't want to do that. And she would try to handle things naturally, even after the strokes. And she uh, started having seizures as a result of the strokes. Um, she felt like she could handle her health naturally, uh, and that she would just put more cumin in her food. And I, even though I explained it to her, that she was well beyond the the natural remedy stage. Uh, She was not going to give up on her belief that she could handle this herself. And when she was uh, in one of the assisted living facilities, we used to have to sneak medication into her uh, feeding tube because each time the nurse's aide would walk in with the medication, my mother would point to each pill and and even though she had aphasia, she would, through body language, ask, like, what pill is what is that for? And the nurse would tell her, and she would shake her head no. And then they'd go through the whole handful of pills, and she would shake her head no. So we had to find a way <laughs> to trick her into taking medicine because she really believed that she knew better than the medical system. And that she knew better how to overcome this, this major health crisis. Uh, unfortunately in the end, um, when she stopped, when we had to have the feeding tube removed and we could no longer fool her into taking our meds. Uh, I think that's when things really kind of started to, to kind of fall apart. Um, and that's when she had her third stroke, um, and didn't come back from that.
0: Is there, is the generation that you represent, which is basically the boomers. Is, is it different now with the trust of the medical system or is there, is there still in the African-American community? I know there's a generalization, but in your experience, let me put it in your experience, is there still this carryover of uh, of what your mom's generation had or has it changed?
1: I think for a lot of people, it still is the same. Really? Uh, you know, we are we are going through uh you what the worst pandemic ever and people that i know and love have basically decided they're not getting a vaccine because they don't trust the vaccine and uh or they don't think it's important enough to go out of their way to get the vaccine so i think there are some people uh, and i think that the 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 that, that it spans cultures it spans generations I think there always there's always gonna be a, a, a sense of mistrust of any system that is driven by capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> it's just uh it's just innate. But um yeah, I, you know us not being a monolithic people, um, I think there are a lot of us who a lot of my friends and relatives ran out to get the uh vaccines. But others, um, even after having COVID. And having suffered through COVID, uh, decided that it that they had better ways to spend their time. Yeah, it's, So uh, no explanation.
0: <laughs> no, it's just fascinating because we live, we're, as you said, we're living through this in the last two some years and the differences in approaches to the science away from politics. I mean, the whole thing was politicized and that was horrible and people died because of it. But. I think a lot of people learned that the the cultural differences in and the United States has so many different cultures embedded in it. Uh, I think it was an assumption. Well, science is this. Everybody's going to rush. And then, you know, like your mom's experience and some of your friends and some of my friends, you know, not so fast. You also write um, in this period of time in, in the rehab and um, I think you use with your mom who you obviously write about, and it comes through the book, this is a very strong woman. Um, Very strong woman. And you write that there was a concept, I think, in in one of the rehab centers, battle of wills, which I think is the phrase that you used. But you also use this phrase that the stroke, mom's stroke, was a gift. It was a gift. Now, some people may say, this is a gift I don't necessarily want. But what do you, what do you mean what happened as a result of what was this gift Kyle
1: well the stroke uh one of the uh, uh things that happened was that she lost all of her filters she is, my mother grew up uh in a very proper family uh had very strong beliefs was was not somebody who uh, communicated emotion. Uh, she could be very stoic. Um, she, I don't think my mother ever told me she loved me growing up, except for that one time when I wanted to take her car back uh, to college on New Year's Eve. And she told me I couldn't because she loved me and she cared about whether or not I was safe. But I, that's the only time I can remember my mother telling me she loved me. Um, and not that she didn't love me, I, I know that she did. Uh, but after the stroke, uh, she couldn't, uh, kind of hold back those, those feelings and emotions anymore. So for the first time in my life, when she, when I did something for her that she appreciated, she, she showed me that she appreciated it. Um, when I, um, uh, had, was having a conversation with my mother or actually, uh, speech therapist was having a conversation with my mother uh about having children. And my mother's blurted out this was uh during the period where she could still speak where uh before the second stroke where she uh her aphasia had gotten better and uh she said to the speech therapist that she never wanted children. And my mother would have never said that out loud. Wow. Right. Um but when she said it suddenly uh it, it was clear to me that that was why our relationship was so tense and why my sister and I never wanted children. Uh, I, n- neither of us could explain why, but um, it, we, we both thought we were flawed. But when my mother was able to be honest and say what she truly felt, suddenly that piece of the puzzle fell into place. And... Um, you know some might be upset if they if they heard their mother say that, but it didn't upset me it It actually made me feel like I had a better understanding of of our relationship um and to me, that was a gift um and again, the gift of her being able to show me appreciation uh when she never would have before she would tell her friends how proud she was of me, but she would never tell me right, right. and her friends would tell me. But she would never tell me. <laughs> so,
0: it's just fascinating, and a lot of the work that we do in the Jewish Sacred Aging Project about the, the the power of family of origin stuff, the stuff that happens, the messages that get sent to us either um, frontally or subconsciously, or by actions rather than words as we're growing up, and how we intuit them, and how they bubble up at various. Especially as we get a little older, and when life and and life moments like the caregiving—that's why the caregiving is such a—we we call it a new life stage. I I really do. It is a new life stage, and so many things happen. You you conclude this journey um, with this very interesting scene uh, with the removal of life support, and you. <laughs> You write in a very lovely sentence or paragraph. I forget whether it's a sentence or a paragraph. That when you're there in the moment, you know, it wasn't, I think, quote, not a lifetime or Hallmark movie, uh, in the, you know, which we've all seen. Walk me through that moment, if you can.
1: Well, the doctor had finally convinced me to uh, remove life support from my mother after her third stroke and um I began calling you know, her her friends and 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 family uh to let them know that this was the end and they all assembled around her and uh they removed the life support and we were all standing holding hands uh someone was praying um and eventually uh, the doctor said it would be maybe uh an hour or so before she uh, transitioned. Uh, And it turned out to be like 18 hours. And so people started to just kind of fall away from the prayer circle and go home. And I slept in the chair again that night. And the next day uh, was when she finally passed. But you have this image of people like wailing and there's gnashing of the teeth and and, uh, everybody's just kind of dying inside to watch the loss but it was just a transition that was a part of life like when you're in that moment it 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 doesn't feel like it's something that's like like move, movie worthy <laughs> um it's just something that is the next thing that happens after what ha- we've been through for the for the nearly 3 years that 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 we were on this journey, um was I disappointed um no I, I don't i don't I don't think I wanted all the you know people bowing and screaming and wailing and all that um but yeah, it was definitely a lot less poetic than I thought it was going to be.
0: was it spiritual
1: it it had its moments of of spiritualness uh when uh, like i said uh in the beginning as they pulled the uh the the tube right. <laughs> uh we were praying uh all my mother's friends and family are are very devout uh so yes there was a lot of prayer um, and we all just kind of stood there waiting so eventually the prayer stopped <laughs> and and people began to go home because it was dinner time <laughs> and um you know my my cousins and i stayed uh throughout the night and listening for the machines to you know make whatever noise that we were told they were going to make when the end had come um and um i mean i i, I don't want it to sound anticlimactic
0: no, no, <laughs> like it's not at all
1: to 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 her uh, but it it wasn't dramatic um and i'm grateful again that it wasn't that because who needs that after all that time of of suffering through, um, you know, a life that wasn't my own anymore?
0: Kyle Ruffin, the author of In Stroke Shadow: My Caregiver Story, available at bookstores and Amazon. Thank you very very much, Kyle, and for this lovely gift, the gift of this book, and um, I hope. Many, many people get to read it because I think it will help them in a variety of different ways. So uh, thank you for your time and, uh, and your expertise and good luck and just stay healthy, stay safe and stay healthy. So be well. Thank be you. Well. And to thank all you of me, you, thank you again for joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. Again, if you'd like to make a comment or suggestion, email me at Address at jewishsacredaging.com. And if you'd like to make a uh, tax-free donation to help support our work, go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com, and scroll down to the Donate button. Click on that and just follow the prompts. Um, Seekers of Meaning is produced at the Broadcast Center of Lubetkin Media Companies here in beautiful Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And we thank our expert producer, Steve Lubetkin. Again, thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address, and I look forward to greeting you on our next Seekers of Meaning podcast and TV show. In the meantime, stay safe, everyone. Stay healthy. Shalom.